Okay, everybody, welcome to um, Dojo Universe here for our 60-something episode. I don't think Vin's joining us today. Um, he's got some family things going on. I think he's down in Florida um, visiting some relatives or what have you. Um, Ian is, of course, studying Spanish today. Good for you. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there's some sort of Galician angle you could go as you do that. You know, some glitch in piping. And then uh, Carl's out there. I guess, Carl, you're my you're my co-pilot for today. How's it going? Oop. It's going pretty good. <laughs> Sorry, I had to turn on my mic there. Um, so, yeah, uh, Carl, you did pretty well over the weekend at Altamont Games. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, there was um, actually a, a lot of the dojo, kind of our, our students and, and um, cohorts, that uh, did very well this weekend that took Piper, Pipers of the Day. So um, let's see, we have um, our students in grade four, uh, three, came close in grade two. I took um, Piper of the Day in grade one, and uh, Eric Olette took it in the professional. So um, that was very kind of exciting. It was um, a decent uh, field of competitors, too, so um, across the, all the grades. Yeah, it always is at Altamont. Um, and then um, there were some really good results in the bands, too. I mean, I know that uh, Mark Dubois works a lot with the Stone of Destiny pipe band, and they totally rocked in grade five. Yeah, um, they took and, first uh, place. So. Yeah, some of us did really well. and So that was really exciting, I think. It's a great uh, great end of the year, uh, great end of the year for, for dojo people. Um, I mean, more and more as we do this, I think um, – you know, it's it's we're proving our methodology in the real world, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, we're teaching people uh, faster than ever before, so we're getting people up on the full pipes faster than ever before. And then those who are experienced and who are playing the solos um, are are really doing well and and uh, using the methodology, and it's it's really quite effective. I know that um, you, Carl, and Erica Let, you know, are very um, heavily. You know, you use the methodology almost, I would say, to the fullest extent, as as do I, um, and it works really, really well in the real world at the high level. So, well, it works because it it forces you to develop actual control of your fingers, which then allows you to do whatever you want in in solos. So, um, I, I think that's it's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, and so, and we're continuing to innovate, which is really cool. So, so anyway, it's going really, really, really well. And um, yeah, speaking of innovation, Ian was just mentioning there your deduction tabulator. <laughs> yeah, so. um, and that's cool. However, you know, um, you got to be a paid member of Dojo U to see that. That's like top secret Indeed. stuff, <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, and you're right, Ian. I think it's uh, that's potentially going to be a really powerful tool that we're going to use uh, to continue to move things forward. Because once we have an objective set of fundamentals, you know, to use, and what the deduction tabulator he's referring to does is it takes that set of fundamentals and it actually, um, it gives you, I actually have it right here. Um, we have these little tally sheets that we filled out on Tuesday, um, and it's actually able to give us a score out of 100 of exactly how well we do on certain performances. And that allows us to um, it allows us you to really focus in on exactly what you need to improve, and uh, it gives you goals to shoot for, right? Like my goal is I got to get a better score this week than I did last week, or what have you. Um, 
or you kind of a quantifiable way to to move your piping forward. Absolutely, and and more and more we plan to use it as a little competition inside the pipe core. We're going to start doing that real soon. Um, just a friendly, some friendly competition inside the inside the band, but. But yeah, so so anyway, uh, Capital District was really fun. For those who don't know what that is, that's I think it's the EUS PBA Championship. That's my at least it used to be, um, and so tons tons of really good bands and soloists uh, all going head to head, and and it's kind of a fun time. Uh, although it was really rainy this year. Yeah, the uh, the Grade Three contest actually happened under uh, one of the kind of open barns. There were no walls, but it was covered. Um, and yeah, it was, it was wild. It was, it was actually really cool because the crowd got really close, almost as close as the judges were. And, and, um, <laughs> I guess it was really close and uh, yeah, it was, it was quite cool. So, um, yeah, the grade three contest got rained. It was just, I mean, torrential downpour. And so they, they moved it under one of the tents. So it was cool. The other, the other grades mostly, uh, skated by without any rain. So, I know the um, grade four contest did um, looked pretty. We kind of lucked out there, but then by the time it was ready for the grade three, it was all over. <laughs> yeah, my headphones just died. I'm sad. Like only one side works. Uh, that's what that noise was. Hmm. Let me. Uh, I'll grab another pair here. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, it, it's a it's a great contest. They run um, stuff. There's there's kind of a little bit. Of, of, of things, music and stuff going on on Friday night, and then you've got to contests on um, Saturday and Sunday. The Saturday is the uh, EUSPBA Championships, and then Sunday, I guess, is just kind of a another sanctioned event. I, I'm not exactly up and up on that, um, but there's contests both days. Um, and if you're the kind of person that enjoys the, the beer tent, um, there is quite a beer tent there. It's, it's really fun. They have rock bands Saturday night. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's really, a, they've got rock bands all day actually, um, and different musical groups, but it, it's really, really fun. So, um, can everybody hear me clearly? I switch microphones too, theoretically. We're yes. still good. All right. Excellent. Um, uh, yeah, what was I going to say? Uh, who out there has some solo competitions left and tell us what they are? Because um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what we're going to do to reset into the next season. How much longer do the folks out in the audience have until they're ready to reboot and uh, start thinking about the next season? Yeah, I know I have about a, another month until my last contest. So going to Loon should be kind of exciting. Nobody? No takers? Oh, Caitlin's typing. That's good. October. Okay, cool. Well, uh, for me anyway, generally speaking, oh yeah, we got a couple stone mountains. So some of the people in the south have a little bit longer to go. Uh, most of us here in the northeast are getting close to being done. Loon Mountain is sort of, for a lot of us, the last one. For me, um, Capitalistic is the last one, usually. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then as far as uh, the bands go, um, we'll talk a little bit about what bands might do to get geared up for the next season. So let's start by talking a little bit about beginners. So 
Um, how many people out there in the audience have um, a beginner program associated with your band? Or how many people are teaching some beginners in the fall? Or The fall is sort of a, a good time to teach beginners. One of the reasons is because it's a nice long time until the next season. Another good reason is most tutor books have Christmas music in them. <laughs> we got to get that learned before uh, December. Lord knows our tutor has enough Christmas music. <laughs> Indeed it does. I got a couple people typing. Rob says, yes, um, they have beginner programs. Awesome. Big push for the youth program in Chicago. Excellent. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is a lot of kids are going back to school, so it's a good time to kind of get involved with schools. Great. Well, tell me... Um, you know, tell me, Carl, tell me what, what are the best things to do with a beginner program or what are some ideas that people can use? Because there's, there's a bunch of problems. Here's a couple of questions. How do we get them up on the pipes as efficiently as possible? How do we retain as many students as possible? How do we keep them from dropping off and quitting? Um, you know, uh, what are some things that you've learned over the years that can help people get their programs happening? Well, I, I think the answer, or one of the answers for both of those questions, retention and getting people up on the pipes quickly, is, is making sure that they're having fun. Um, that's got to be number one, especially with the kids. Um, You've got to be really engaged um, and, and be able to get those, those students really excited about what they're doing. And, and one of the ways that uh, it's really good for that is getting them started on tunes right away. Um, I know that was when I was learning one of the most frustrating things is it was eight months before I even got anywhere near something that even sounded melodical or m melodic. Um, and uh, <laughs> I love making up words. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think that that's really, really key is um, you, you got to teach them in a really fun way. It's going to keep them involved because it's going to make them want to practice more, which will make them improve faster and you'll get them up on the pipes faster. You'll also keep those students. Uh, if they're engaged. So I, I think that's that's number one is in getting the students really engaged in what they're doing and excited. Um, and also, get, you know, get them used to performing a little bit. Um, I, I think learning the Christmas music, even if it's just uh, without grace notes or with just simple G grace notes, get them to perform it for somebody, their friends, their family. Um, get the pressure on a little bit because they'll really practice for that. It's fun for them. And um, it makes good competitors. Here's another tip uh, that I really believe in um, is that when you have a beginner class, youth or adults, doesn't really matter. I think one of the best tricks in the book, which very few people do, is get them playing a set of pipes in the very first lesson. So one of the things that uh, one of the big talking points is, you know, well, you know, it's probably going to be six months to a year before we're going to be on the full pipes. Forget about that. That makes it a drag. That makes people want to quit. Some people, anyway, want to quit because it, it's going to take so much patience. As soon as they can play a low A, uh, we can get on the pipes and we can try that low A on the pipes. Obviously, they don't own a set yet, but you can have a little uh, a little guest set and you can bring like if you're worried about if you're worried about hygiene, you can bring like um, some rubbing alcohol and and uh, you know cotton swabs or something to keep it sanitary or. Yeah, I make you, that stuff for marching bands, too. Get yeah, they do. It's like a spray. But anyway, um, you can get the people in your class going on the pipes in the very first lesson. Make them super, super easy. 
and just sort of say, all right, guys, like, let's, let's try to take this low A or let's try and take the bottom hand of the scale or whatever it is that you're teaching. Let's just try it on the pipes and see what happens. And um, they'll see how hard it is. One or two of them might actually get it in the first try. Um, but then you get that spark because for me, um, if, I, if I want to learn bagpipes, I want to be playing bagpipes. You know, just like if you go to your first guitar lesson, you know, you want to play guitar. And the practice chanter can actually be kind of a letdown if the full pipes aren't involved. So don't be afraid to get people horsing around on the pipes early. And you could just make it kind of the dessert at the end of each group session is uh, to let a couple people uh, try a really easy set of pipes. Like so we're talking super easy here, like because uh, otherwise it'll just be frustrating. But the most super easy set of pipes possible I think that's a great tip. That's a great way to get a beginner class off on the right foot. Um, and then, uh, you know, you could even make it a little bit, uh, for kids, you could make it a little bit of a competition. So the person who plays this exercise the best gets to try it on the pipes first, something like that. Um, and then it, can be, um, then it can be pretty fun. But that's, uh, that's the key. That was one of the things Jack Lee, um, I don't know, he didn't, we didn't necessarily do that in the RMM beginner classes, but what Jack, Jack Lee's big thing with me was kids and, what, and you know, adults too, obviously, but kids want to play bagpipes. You know, that's kind of the, don't forget, we can't lose sight of that. Students want to play bagpipes. You know, back, the practice chanter, whatever, they'll get into it once they're super fired up, but make sure every lesson has something to do with a full bagpipe. That's one of my big... Uh, you know, and then as far as retaining students, I think you're going to retain way more if they get their, their bagpiping fix every lesson. Um, and then I also think that you're going to, they're going to be efficient on the pipes way faster, right? So that first lesson when you switch them to the pipes from the practice channel, they're going to have all that background. They're going to sort of have that thing that they built up over the past couple months, just that very peripheral experience with the pipes. And so the transition is going to go a lot uh, easier and faster, and it's not going to be as scary, right? Because a lot oh. of people, too, I mean, a lot of people where, where people quit is finding that the bagpipe is just too hard, right? And they're like, oh, forget it. I can't do this. Um, there's always that, that feeling, that overwhelmed feeling. And you can cut down on that by always including bagpipes in your classes just a little bit. And I mean, th there's also no reason that you can't learn simultaneously the fundamentals of of, of uh, bagpipe and um, finger work. I mean, use the separate instruments, but there's no reason that you can't start to learn uh, how to blow uh, tone and blow blow steady, um, mm -hmm. the blowing and squeezing. You you can learn that at any point. You don't have to wait till you know how to wiggle your fingers. Yeah, and it's great to know even the theory of it too, right? So like here here's a manometer. Here's the theory behind good tonal production. Um, let's let's knock them dead. Let's give it a try. And then you know you do that for a few classes, and then um, and then you're good to go. How many people uh, give me like a yes or something? Give me a why if you've never actually thought of that before? Because um, I you know I never really thought of it before until a while ago, and then it was like, gee, duh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there you go. So it's like, gee, I never even thought of playing bagpipes at a bagpipe lesson. It's kind of <laughs> classic bagpipe world stuff. Just imagine like, you know, um, drummers, right? It's like, imagine if a drummer went to their first drumming lesson and they didn't hit anything. 
you know. That's happened before. You do some clapping. Yeah. Clapping. But yeah, that lasts maybe one lesson until you're hitting things. <laughs> uh, and, you know, obviously sometimes you have to learn stuff on the practice channel, obviously, right? Tons of technique, but we got to get it in. Okay, let's stop blabbing about that. Let's see. So that's a little bit of a little beginner, some beginner tips there from the dojo. And um, if anybody needs any help or supplies or wants to get their beginner classes hooked into Dojo U, that's obviously a great idea. Um, Gary says, have I ever listened to an instructor? How many times have they focused only on the negative as opposed to praising a student? Um, I don't know, man. That's heavy duty. Have I ever listened to an Yeah, I've listened to lots of instructors. Yeah. It depends on the quality of the instructor, I guess. Good instructors give you a little bit of both. I usually choose not to listen to negative ones. I, I honestly, I don't know that many negative ones. At least not explicitly negative. Yeah, so, so I'm not sure. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, next topic of the day, picking new tunes. All right, so that's kind of an interesting one. And we're talking about for the band or for the solos. How do we pick the right tunes? So uh, does anybody out there have any, have any um, experience picking new tunes or horror stories? Like here's the typical situation with a new tune is you're like, man, I like this tune. And so you pick it. And then one of two things happens. Number one is you get to the week before the first competition and you realize I, I can never play this tune fundamentally correctly in a competition. It's just too hard for me. Right? And then the other scenario is by the time we get to the first competition, we are bored out of our minds with the tune. And we can't even, we can't even stomach playing it for a whole season. So how do we... Uh, what are some things we can do to pick the right tunes? And the same goes for the band. How do we pick a tune that's challenging and musical enough without going over the top, but also without being too easy? And I don't know, Carl, what do you think? What tunes are you going to pick for next year? I have not even uh, thought about that yet. But uh, what I've done in years past is, is kind of sat down with with somebody who, who knows more <laughs> and asked advice. I mean, that's I think that's really key for anyone is – you know, here are my kind of strengths and weaknesses, and your instructor uh, generally should know those. Um, what tunes are going to push you a little in the areas that you need to push, um, but won't be uh, too hard? Like, um, if you're really bad at a certain technique, D throws or something, you're not going to want to pick a tune necessarily for competition that has a thousand of them. Um, you know, maybe you work on that tune for, for practice on, to work on the technique itself, but, um, you know, what's going to play to your strengths, what's going to make you most competitive, but also challenge you in the areas that you need to be challenged. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I will look at in, in tunes next year. What, what am I going to be able to be competitive with, um, and, and still move my playing forward? Yeah. For me, one of the big things is, um, I, I have to pick tunes that have lots and lots of melody in them. For me, that's a big one. You know how some tunes, they're, they're cool tunes, but they don't really, like, inspire you from a melodic standpoint? Or, or maybe, you know, they're, they're just sort of repetitive or there's not a whole lot going on there. For me, I have to be really engaged with that melody because if I get sick of the tune itself, right, if the melody doesn't do it for me, 
or if it's not that exciting now, it's going to be way less exciting later. Um, you know, like Laureano here says that Lady Loudon is quite repetitive um, as well. So Lady Loudon might not be the right pick, generally speaking, um, you know, for, for those who, I don't know, get bored easily. See, for me, Lady Loudon, there's lots of subtlety you can put into it. So in my later years, it's been one of those tunes I'm more interested in playing. Um, but I love, like, the Susan McLeod, Dora McLeod, um, You with the Crooked Horn for stress bass. You know, like, for me, those are the ones with lots of cool uh, melody that, that keeps me uh, keeps me interesting. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think what else might be up here. Oh, I'm getting a phone call over there. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, so melody is really big. And then uh, technique. What are my technical strengths? That's the first thing I'm going to ask myself. What are my technical strengths? What are some things that could use a little practice? And that, those are usually the tunes I pick. And I'm usually going to shy away from tunes with, with giant technical problems in them. Or maybe I'll learn it, but I'm not going to plan on really competing with it until um, things are really good. Um, I like I like to let my technique evolve naturally, right? So a lot of people are like, I have to uh, I have to really work on my D throws this year. Okay, well if that's true, that's great. But we we also don't want to play the Cameronian rant in our solos because that's just too much, and there's no guarantee the technique is going to get there in time. And so I'm going to pick tunes that maybe have an instance or two of my weaknesses, so I can work on them. But I'm never going to try and showcase my weaknesses. That's a little bit too risky. An interesting tidbit, the Cameronian Rant is one of my favorite tunes now, um, but it, it took me a long time to develop a D-throw that I was really confident with. And now that I'm confident with my D-throw, Cameronian Rant is automatically a great tune for me. And so you, we sort of gave that patience. So there might be tunes that you really like, but your technical weaknesses are, you know, are such that you wouldn't really want to, you know, get too far into that um, this this particular year. But uh, yeah, any uh, any thoughts about that in the audience or anything like that? Yeah, does anyone have an idea of of what they're picking already for next year? Yeah. Um, while we wait for anyone maybe to type in there. The other thing to think about is, what is your plan for getting these tunes to sound really awesome? For example, I would humbly suggest that your tunes, you don't want to rush the memorization of your tunes, and you don't even want to rush your ability to play all the way through the tune. So for me, I like to find a recording of, of something that I really like, and I like to listen to that a lot. I listen to that recording a lot, and what happens is I sort of get it in my head. But I'm not going to rush through playing the whole tune. I'm not going to try to play the whole Cameronian rant all at once. Instead, I'm going to work on it part by part for a while. And, and as you, Dojo U students will know, we break it down into pods. And I'm definitely going to carefully do that so that I actually learn the fundamentals that I need to learn. And I'm not going to be in a rush to learn it. And I, and I don't want to play it all the way through until all the different pieces are sounding good on their own. So it might be something that I gradually integrate. So 
Today, I'm going to work on the first part of this tune, the first part of this tune, and the first part of this tune. I'm going to break it down, and that might be all I do that practice session. And then the next one might just be, I'm, now I'm going to work on the second parts of all these tunes. And then maybe the third part, and then, you know, in a, in a week or two, now I'm going to say, well, let me try putting the first two parts of Cameronian Rant together for today. We'll see how that comes out. And then sometimes you get cocky and get on a roll, and you can add in some other parts. But you also you want to consider the trajectory that you take. Um, I think that's a big problem with the boredom, right? So let's say I picked a tune today. It would be probably almost at least six months before I'm going to be seriously competing with that tune. Yet, I, for some reason, I feel the urge that I have to learn this tune in a week. And I have to get it memorized and slammed in there in a week. Well, that leaves five months and three weeks left to be bored with it. And by the way, I've, I've boxed myself into a corner because... I didn't take time to really evaluate all of the technique and fundamentals that I should have really focused on carefully and slowly. Um, yeah, I, I would think say it's good should... to start now. What's that? I, said, I think it's good to start now because you also don't want to end up on the other end where you, um, you know, it's a month away from your competition and you haven't learned new tunes yet and you need to learn six um, and you end up rushing the memorization. You know, that, that certainly doesn't work either. Right, and Bruce raises a great point, which is, if you're bored with your music, don't you think the judge will be also? And, and the answer is, yep. That's the answer to that question. Um, I think, if let's say I'm, I'm going to compete in six months' time, um, or maybe it's four months or whatever, you know, I would take, I would take my sweet time learning that music. So I wouldn't even work to memorize it probably until at least... If I'm six months away, I don't even want to have that thing memorized for the next three months. And I want to, I want to take the learning of it slowly and carefully across three months. And, I'm, and what I'll do if I'm serious is I'm actually going to map out the learning process. Right? So, so this week is going to be spent on mastering the first part of, of uh, my march, of my Strats Bay, and of my reel. Maybe I'll say that. I'm going to master the first part of each tune. Okay, and I'm going to work through it with the pods with a fine-tooth comb. Then next week, I'm going to do the second part. Next week, I'm going to do the third parts. Following week, I'll do the fourth part. So that's about a month. And in the month, you've really looked under a microscope at each part, and so you really have all the technique and fundamentals solidified in your head that you need to. Okay, and that only took a month. And then the next month is going to be, all right, this month, I'm going to work on playing all the tunes all the way through. Right, so practicing individual parts, working on it, but now this month I'm working on playing them all the way through. The following month I'm, I'll work on really playing all these all the way through and just really focusing on getting a great bagpipe sound in addition to being able to play my tunes all the way through. Okay, and that's three months. And then maybe in month four, I'm going to work on memorizing all these tunes. And the ironic thing is, month it's really not going to take that long to memorize it if you've really taken your time to learn each of these tunes. Ian says, is that by virtue of focusing on individual sections? I'm not sure what you're referring to there, Ian. If you're referring to the memorization thing, then yes, by yeah, focusing. He asked, how do you separate the learning process pods um, except from the, I don't know what he means there, from memorizing a tune. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, if we take it piece by piece and then we, st we start to string it together and we start to build these parts, right? And if we focus on that long and hard enough, the memorization is going to be pretty natural because we've done this repetitively so much. And our, our muscle memory is, is, uh, is going to be there too. So it makes the memorization process way, way easier. Um, people ask me all the time, how do I memorize better? And the answer is you've got to learn better. You've got to learn the tune better. You have to break it into pieces. Um, I always say by the time you've learned a tune fully and properly, um, you'll already have it memorized. Bruce says, when memorizing, do you use music on the pipes or chanter or both? The answer is both. I like to maximize the time on the pipes. So, you know, as soon as I can play through even one part of my music on the practice chanter, I make sure to get it up on the pipes on the music stand and playing through it. It's a really excellent question. So we want to use both the pipes and the practice chanter uh, when we practice, but try to maximize the time on the pipes. The more time you spend on the pipes, the better your, your, your instrument technique will become. So that's why we want to maximize that. All right, last topic. We might not end up going the full hour today, but I think that's okay. Last topic. What kind of new gear are we going to get for the next, for the next year? What kind of new gear? That's a good one. Yeah, like <laughs> what do people have on their radar, things that they want to do? Um, I'll tell you what I want to do. All right, Carl, tell me what you want to do. I want to get a really good, and, and this could be really kind of difficult, but I, I would love to get a really good setup that includes some more advanced moisture control um, to, to see if I can get a, a stable pipe for, um, for a much longer period of time um, without hopefully sacrificing too much uh, in, the, in the kind of tonal department. Um, right now I'm, I'm playing just straight sheepskin, and that's great. You get great, great tone with that, but, you know, there, there's a, a finite window of, of stability um, with that, so I, I would love to extend that some. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure how I'm going to do that yet, but, um, you know, maybe something like a Ganaway zip bag, and then the, the moisture control is just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to decide. I think we're going to have to try several. Yeah, uh, Loriano here is talking about the drone dry. Have you seen those? I haven't. I'm going to yeah, Google Vin, that. Vin was Vin sending was... around a YouTube video, which was actually upside down. It was really kind of hard to watch. Uh, but it's a new um, drone dry thing, which is like a stock. It's a moisture absorbent stock. For drone reads, so I'm I'm interested in trying that too. Absolutely. Oh, they have an amazing shirt. <laughs> I don't know if it's quite appropriate because um, I saw I saw somebody wearing this shirt at the Worlds. It's um, drone dry every wet piper's dream. <laughs> it's just like, oh man, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh. But let's see, I'm, I'm kind of looking it up here on the, well, I don't know why Vin sent one that's upside down because there's one um, one on, on the Facebook page here. 
uh, that seems to be right side up. <laughs> yeah, they have t-shirts. Here's their uh, Facebook page. You can check that out. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I mean, if Stuart's using it, um, that's a good indication that it's good, you know? Um, so, so that's definitely, as a matter of fact, someone was asking me about them and, and so Carl will have to, we'll have to email them and see if we can get some in. Yeah, I agree. Let's see, Adam has a, yeah, Victor, that's an interesting concept, the, the, the Lee and Sons with the zipper. Um, I probably would forego the grommets just because, um, I like to have it tied in. I'm always kind of skeptical about putting a giant rubber collar on um, on a set of pipes. It just feels like it's going to dampen the sound no matter what. So I would tie it in. But uh, uh, yeah, the, the zippered sheep that could be could be the answer there. Yeah, we find that the rubber dampens the tone for sure, um, or something does, anyways. Yeah, I'd like to get into more of these guys. Yeah. Some uh, keen, some keen drone reads. I'm definitely, um, especially as the Oren Moore Interband League gets started up here, um, I want to see if I can get some keen drone reads to really give me a boost. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. <laughs> Question is, can you keep them stable and predictable, and not, uh, yeah. You know, not crap the bed at the line. Yes, indeed. Could be. That's, that's always the challenge. They're great until they're not. <laughs> they're great until they're not great. Yeah, although, I don't know, man. Field Marshal seems to get them pretty great. On the assumption they're still playing Kane, which, I mean, it's only a legend. I mean, I don't really. Actually, I do know that at one point, um, at least some people in the band were playing Kane because you'd occasionally see them pop out of the bag and tweaked and something like that, but who knows the mystery. Exciting. I actually, I actually maybe prefer not knowing because, you know, you can speculate. Daydream. That's a little mystery. How do they get it so good? Yeah. It's more, more and more fun to debate than to, to know. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, um, what else we got for gear? And, and if we don't have anything else, that's fine. We can, sort of venture towards wrapping it up here. Anyone have any questions or, or new drone reads is always fun. Trying some new, see, you know, see if you can customize your sound a little bit more. Um, you know, I know, uh, some people, they, they get comments on their score sheets sometimes like drones too loud or not balanced with channer. Uh, and then that could be kind of an indication that you need to take a look at, uh, you know, what kind of drone reads you have, or just buy new pipes. That's, that's of course, the best solution. <laughs> because, you guys, because we like you guys so much, we'll give them to you for the price listed on the website. <laughs> a little, little pipe sale joke there. Um, yeah, okay, good. Uh, how is Dojo doing now that the piping center is offering e-learning? That's a great question. Um, the answer is, um, if anything, we've seen an increase in enrollment. Um, and it might just be because of the general increase of awareness. 
um, that the two of us are sort of symbiotically producing, I would say. Um, it's really cool. They, they, op they operate on different time zones than us. So I think we have, uh, I think we have sort of a, a good sort of beneficial relationship. Um, I haven't actually really spoken with Roddy at all about how it's going um, because we weren't over in Scotland this year. But, uh, but yeah, it's a good question, Victor. And the answer is, so far we haven't noticed anything other than, uh, you know, actually increased growth, whether that has to do with them existing or not. Um, Gary says, any suggestions for a decent recorder? Yes. I've mm -hmm. got a really cool suggestion. And it's called, whoops, what the heck just happened there? Let's try this. <laughs> All right, let's get rid of you. And then, um, and it's called the uh, Zoom Q2 HD. Um, which is, looks like this. Can everybody see that? Can you see that, Carl? Yes. This is the Zoom Q2 HD. And uh, you may recall some of the Zoom recorders from before that they, they uh, record very high quality audio. Um, but now the Q2 includes HD video that can be easily and efficiently up, uh, uploaded to something like YouTube, um, which is by, by far the best uh, video storage system, you know, because it's so easy and it's accessible on every device. Um, so it's super, super cool. Um, and it's only 200 bucks. I mean, which is a lot, but I mean, Christmas is coming up, people. And this is going to do everything you need it to do for at least 10 years. Yeah, it's, it's super cool. We, we need to get it's some. Cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm desperate to get mine. It's going to happen. Morgan says, I don't think I have enough tabs open. Yeah, you're probably right. I need a few more. Yeah, it won't play your pipes for you, though. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, let's see, Bruce asked here about um, why did the majority of Piper stop playing cane and leather bags? Um, well, I think part of the answer is that synthetic reeds came out. Um, and you know, how many times does a new product come out and you kind of want to try it? Um, and, and synthetic reeds are very good. Uh, they're also very stable, um, and they, they don't change, uh, from practice session to practice session. So, uh, you know, a, a really well set up set of cane and, and, and leather bag, you can probably achieve the same, but it's, it, I would say it's much easier to achieve, to achieve a, a level of stability, um, from practice session to practice session with, with a synthetic set of drone reads. Um, it's easier. That's why. Yeah. It's easier. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's too hard, especially leather bags. There's nothing hard about a leather bag, right. but you do have to kind of, you know, season it when it's dry and blah, blah, blah. And so, um, and tie it on. And that can be a big thing for, for a lot of people is they don't have the experience or the equipment to tie on a bag. Um, yep. You know, synthetic bags go on in five minutes and, and anyone can do it. So exactly. So I think it's mainly because, yeah, it's easier. And, and I, you know, it depends how you look at it. We like to get our students on leather bags from day one, because, you know, we're so concerned about quality of tone 
um, and about and about having that that layer of moisture in inside the the bag to to produce that extra uh, that extra awesomeness of tone. But you know, a lot of people don't share the exact same philosophy, and their idea is that the tone might come later. And the important thing is for people to just get a nice, super easy, uh, basic setup that uh, that people can fart around with, and then and then later um, they start to develop other instrument fundamentals. And so, you know, there's definitely something to be said for that. Like, there's so much mechanics to be learned. Um, you know that that sometimes the easier thing is better. See, for our students, we we generally see them on a regular basis, and we can supervise them. So we try to get them on something leather. Yeah, I mean, and and the synthetic bags are making great progress that way. I think the hybrids are a great step in in the direction of the leather bags. Um, they help with the tone. I, I I think so, at least a, a little bit. Um, that's pending more research. You you just got to get out and try it more, I guess. That's that's my project for the winter. Well, um, thank you everybody for coming and joining us today. And I think rather than beating a dead horse, as they say, if they say that, that's really sort of a dark saying. But uh, rather than doing that, um, I think it's it's best for us to move on. And uh, so thanks for coming up. We'll be back next week with some other amazing topic of some kind. Indeed. But uh, we'll see you later. Thanks, guys.